Welcome to Basket News Talks. We're in Barcelona, historical Palau Blograna, and we are having one of the best yearly guards in the last eight years. Hello, Cor Wiggins. How you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Let's before we start, uh, let's put some things clear. Corey Higgins is a two-time EuroLeague champ. In three EuroLeague title games, he averaged 18.3 points and 20 PIR per game. Just to compare, nobody has scored more than 30 in a single uh, final game since Drajan Petrovic in 1985. So that's hard to have this uh, average. Uh, Corey is on a pace uh, to hit the top 20 of all-time scorers list in the EuroLeague already this season. And just look at basketnews.com stats section. He's the, one of the most efficient all-around scorers uh, that EuroLeague had. So ju just to make uh, put things clear and that nobody would overlook you uh, during this interview, I believe that this, is, this was kind of, you know, one of the bigger topics uh, throughout your career. You also said some, some stuff about it before. But I actually wanted to ask you something for the future generations. In your eyes, what are the top three most overlooked overlooked EuroLeague players maybe this year from this season or just from recent years in your eyes that didn't get enough recognition they deserve wow well first thanks for um for those facts about me um I didn't even know some of those things um uh that's good to hear um that's a tough question to put me on the spot um you said in the last three years let's say in the recent years in maybe the recent you, years yeah they didn't get enough credit. Um, I played with a lot of guys that didn't get enough credit. Um, I'll go for my EuroLeague titles. I like guys that uh, are underdogs and don't uh, kind of go under, under the radar. Uh, so I'll say Nikita, Nikita Kurbanov. Um, he's, he's like the ultimate glue guy for a team that uh, you need those kind of guys. You don't win titles without those kind of guys who get zero credit, but do absolutely everything that doesn't show up uh, on the score sheet. So I'll go with him. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for me to say anybody other than my teammates, mm -hmm. being honest. Uh, it's hard for me to... Um... Okay, so I'm going to stick with my teammates then. Uh, another guy. Well, all my other teammates got all the credit, so... I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Who yeah, you've played that. on a bunch of great teams, actually. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you know, that's a tough one. I wasn't prepared for this question, mm. so I'm going to have to think it about need, this a Yeah, bit it needs more. time yeah. to, to, to prepare. Uh, to prepare. Yeah. Uh, moving forward, um, besides all these facts I mentioned, you made one of the most iconic Final Four shots uh, two years ago against Milan in the semifinal. I remember that after that game, uh, somebody asked you, uh, if Michael Jordan, your godfather, saw that uh, shot and uh, did he react? And uh, I, I'm not sure if anybody asked you afterwards, did you get any message from him or did he saw that? Did he see that shot and maybe he, he said something about it? Uh, he told me, uh, good shot, good game. Uh, it was <laughs> as simple as that. Um, yeah, it wasn't uh, nothing crazy. Uh, I don't think it was directly after the game. I think it was um, maybe some days afterwards. Um, I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, there were a lot of messages about that. Um, it was a completely different shot than his. Um, obviously, mine was on the fast break, but you know, yeah, everybody loves to um, to remind um, everybody that that's my godfather. So uh, mm. it's expected. And talking about his feedback, what kind of feedback, and if you were getting any feedback from him in your early days, 
especially when we were playing for uh, Bobcats? Um, to be honest, there wasn't much feedback. Um, all the feedback I have was always from my father. He was the main person um, in my basketball life. Um, obviously, uh, he was around uh, MJ, and um, it was more like a, a joking relationship, um, more than a constructive criticism. Um, but uh, that relationship was more when I was in my younger years. Nowadays, in many EuroLeague basketball uh, people recognize you as a winner, as an elite scorer, uh, all-around uh, player. Uh, but having this image here in Europe, it's actually crazy to think and to remember your first pro season, right, in, in Charlotte. That Bobcats team had the worst NBA season record ever, like seven wins in 66 games. It was a lockout year. I think you played 38 games, average four points. But what sounds crazy that your team, when you were on a team, the team won only one game. What did you learn about winning and losing especially? What kind of impact it had? What kind of scars it left actually for your following years of the career? Um, the, th the only thing I took away was just how to be a professional. Um, wins or losses. Uh, so I learned how to work very hard. Um, obviously, that was a terrible team. So I took the advantage of the time that I had to work on myself and um, just uh, be more mentally strong because obviously that was a difficult season. Was there any chance to return to the NBA uh, afterwards when you're, you were already successful in the EuroLeague and especially maybe in the summer 2019? I remember Will Clyburn told something like three years ago or something. He had a minimum offer, but he decided to stay in Moscow. Yeah, I had a um, few times I had minimum guaranteed offers, but it wasn't worth it with what I had uh, going on in Europe. So, um, yeah, I never really crossed my mind to go back. It felt you never, you were never chasing this, let's say, NBA dream, just, just to stay in the league, just, just for the record, right? No, it makes no sense for me. Um, I'm always going to do what's best for me and my family, um, no matter what the situation. And it was always best, um, both uh, professionally and financially, for me to be here. The last question and the last topic about the MG, uh, actually. If you had a chance to bring him to Europe in the upcoming years to see any EuroLeague game you've, you were playing in, what would be that game? What would be that opponent, opponent you would like to show that game for, for MG live in person? <laughs> um, I don't know. None. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a different person. Like, I don't really care who comes to my games. Like, even my parents haven't been here that much, and they're my biggest supporters. So, um, you know, it's a... But let's see, what's the most exciting opponent for you, considering the level, the quality, the tightness of the game, maybe the crowd, the atmosphere, the rivalry? Um, probably a Final Four game or a Copa del Rey game. Um, yeah, those are a little bit more special. Those are the most... I mean, any game that's more high pressure is going to be the most fun for me. You already mentioned about your, your dad and what's interesting that he spent a couple months here in Europe. Olympiacos was his uh, only team here in, in Europe. It was 1993. You were around four years old, so, something like that. Did you ever discuss his chapter here in, in Piraeus? What kind of memories did he bring from, from that experience? Yeah, he told me a little bit. He told me his experience of um, just being overseas um, in a foreign country. Um, it was a short time, uh, but he had a, he had good things to say about it. But it was a completely different time back then, so it didn't really relate to to now.
any wild stories? I mean, these were really different times. And, you know, knowing mm-hmm. former NBA player going to Europe was also probably a big thing in, in Greece basketball. Yeah, um, but no, there was no no big stories that, yeah, that are worth sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your dad later, he became the GM of Warriors, then also the president of basketball operations in, in Charlotte. Uh, he, let's say he advanced to the front office. And now you're, you will turn 34 in summer. And usually at this uh, point of the career, players, they start to realize what they would like to do after they finish their pro career. Do you have any ideas in your mind? Maybe like coaching part, maybe GM part. We, for, uh, for instance, we saw many examples like Trajan Langdon, uh, J.R. Holden, you know, moving to States, working for NBA teams, or maybe your plan is just to, to stay outside basketball. Um, I have a plan. Oh, I, I mean, I have a lot of ideas and plans, but I'm also a guy that is, um, that likes to stay in the present moment. And um, like when that time comes, it'll will work itself out. I know I have many things in place. I made a lot of relationships. Um, I'm not so keen on staying uh, in basketball, but at the same time, I'm open to anything. So, um, so we'll see what comes. Was there anything besides basketball that you feel at least passion, which is closer to basketball? Um, I have a big passion for business. Um, I have a lot of things going in the States, um, but um, what, just, what kind of business uh, at the moment? Franchises, um, biz, restaurant franchises, um, you know, just different investments. Um, I, that's what um, that was my whole purpose of staying in Europe and being in a position like this is to be able to to not have to do anything if I didn't want to after uh, my playing career. But um, so when that time comes, um, I'll see what's best for me and my family and for our lifestyle and make a decision then. One of, one of your fans, basketnews.com uh, website, BN Plus member, subscriber, they had an opportunity to ask you questions as well. But I, there, there was Odrius Wojciewicz with one question, but I will try to rephrase this question. Let's, let's bring everyone back to the start of the season 2021-22, uh, where you were coming off a season where you sang this great game winner against Milan. It was a great uh, season personally for you. You're entering the year where, where Nikola Mirotic will become the MVP of the season. You're entering the year where Barcelona looks like a serious, probably the most legit title contender among the other EuroLeague se- uh, teams. And you get hurt. You try to play, you get hurt again, have this surgery, you stay out of the game for a long time, you try to come back. But of course, probably we all agree that it's not the real Corey Higgins. Uh, it was very hard for you to get back in shape for, for the final four. It, it, it felt, it looked like one of the, probably the hardest season for you, right? How, how did you manage to go through it? How were you feeling and what did you take out uh, from, from, from that experience? Yeah, obviously it was the most difficult um, uh, season of my professional career. Um, on the court speaking, I wouldn't say off the court. And I think uh, off the court, it was actually one of the most beneficial for me uh, mentally. Um, I had a lot of chance to work on myself and... Um, strengthen uh, my mind, which is most important, um, and strengthen my faith. Uh, so that's what I took from the, from this season. I wasn't on the court and I wasn't uh, able to contribute how I wanted to. A lot of disappointing times um, on the court, but this was actually one of the most enjoyable times because I got to uh, become a better version of myself, in my opinion. 
Mm, in what ways and what was maybe triggering you off the court that you needed to, to, to develop and to become better person, personality? Um, I had to realize that my identity is not basketball. Um, I think uh, too many basketball players solely identify um, with the game uh, and I never have, but this really made me um, take that a little bit, take that a step forward and, um, you know, and, and realize what my true identity is. And so it, it just makes life a little bit easier when um, you know, it, it allows you to deal with things when hardships come, uh, you know how to deal with them. And I think going forward, that'll help me on the court. Um, but I was already a, a person like this anyway, which is like why I usually uh, excel in pressure moments and hard moments because I like I like these times because you have to be in the present. So what's maybe now different approaching these tough moments and just approaching the long season? Because I remember that actually probably uh, I was talking with Vasa Mitic and he had the same experience. Now he looks at basketball way different. He's actually not watching so many games, just not to put too much basketball in his mind. And he's always in, in, in presence. What's, what's maybe new now with this new Corey uh, Higgins on the court? Uh, the new is probably... I deal with the lows much better. Um, I think that's the main thing. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say scared, but I'm not scared of the lows. Um, it's part of life, it's part of basketball. Um, so when criticism comes or I, I'm not playing well on the court, it's uh, much easier for me to function um, because I know, you know, I know who I am and uh, what my identity is. And I actually had the question, if you feel a chip on your shoulder to turn everything around after the last season, which was very hard, but listening to you, I believe that you're not putting any more pressure on yourself anymore, right? Not trying to think about it. Yeah, I've never thought about the past in general, but um, definitely after this, uh, I don't have to prove anybody except prove anything to anybody except uh, um, to to the Lord pretty much. Um, that's the only person I'm trying to live for every day. So um, everything else is secondary. And um, yeah, I don't pay too much. Uh, I have nothing to prove uh, to anyone in my opinion. It, felt, it feels like the outside status of this Barcelona is so different compared to the last season. You have new face, a lot of new faces. Uh, Mirotic was injured until December. Uh, nobody, let's say outside seriously considers Barcelona as a top title contender because there are so many great teams which made a lot of improvements during the summer. But in your eyes, what do you think people are missing? What's the main strength of this newly reshaped Barcelona team? Uh, I mean, there's strengths everywhere. We're, we have champions down down the roster, your league champions. So that's hard to um, that's hard to replace. That's hard to to, um, to take, um, you have to give some credit for that. So I think our biggest strength is our, we're str we have strength in numbers now, in my opinion. And um, I think that people writing us off early is good for us um, because we're a veteran team and everybody knows how to win. And, and that's um, something that matters a lot. And you know, winning is difficult. So for us, um, you know, I know everybody believes in the same common goal in, in our locker room. We all have, we, are, we all are champions and 
So we have the same common goal and expect to be there at the end of the season like we have been. Uh, you recently have been on a personally, individually uh, good uh, stretch. There was this uh, interesting game against Real Madrid where Charles wanted to bench you, then you grabbed the offensive rebound, <coughs> made a three-pointer and ended up uh, the game with 14 points in the fourth quarter. It was, it was funny moments. Uh, can you just share your relationship with Sharuna Sisikavichis going into the third season together? You know, you've been already under demanding great coach like Dimitris Tudis now. What could you say about this experience working with uh, Sharunas? I think um, we have a great working relationship. I think um, obviously I respect him a lot and I feel that he respects me a lot as well. And um, what I, I have done throughout my career and what I bring to the court. Um, I'm able to go to him, uh, I think, more now than um, maybe in the first couple of years um, and talk about things uh, that we see on the court during the game. Um, but, yeah, I think, I mean, we have a great, a, a great working relationship. And what do you think, what has changed uh, compared to the first season or the second season that you can talk to him things uh, more than maybe before? I can always talk to him. Um, I think just now, like, as a normal relationship goes, we're just more comfortable. We understand exactly how each other think and, um, and what to expect from each other. I know how he is going to coach us and, um, and vice versa. I think, uh, I think he understands how I think and uh, how I play. Uh, so just the, the normal involvement of any relationship. Yeah, before, uh, what was surprising that Dimitris Antudis and Cesc Moscow uh, brought you to the EuroLeague without having any EuroLeague experience, without uh, having any EuroCup experience and considering the level of the team they had at the moment, it was pretty rare. Uh, and I was told that one of the main reasons was not just successful seasons in Gaziantep or, or Luberci uh, team uh, by scoring, let's say, but your personality as well. and until today you know some some players uh, describe you as as the best let's say uh and you know honestly speaking you know in your situation you're a you, you're a son of the nba player so you had let's say uh com comfortable uh, life conditions and it's not so casual uh that in these situations uh people or, or players they're so disciplined have this uh humbleness in themselves and they are so professional about everything what they do what do you think what was behind that that formed you as a person and maybe what were the main rules or ideas of life that i don't know parents or somebody else around you set for you and you stayed with it consistently um first and foremost my parents for sure um my personality and how i am comes from them and how I was raised, um, being the son of a NBA player, um, yeah, you had to. It's interesting you say like comfortable, and you know everybody thinks that it's very nice and easy uh, growing up like that. But you have to have a different mindset um, at all times, um, especially being um, also the godson of Michael Jordan. So I think that um, that form that helped form me into somebody that is just uh, solid and I can very easily block out uh, other distractions and just focus on what needs to be focused and what's real. Um, it's very easy for me to see through all the fake stuff um, 
you don't you know you don't see me on social media i don't really like social media at all um i didn't even want to do this interview until uh Kasky, uh until Kasky, uh convinced me to do it um but um getting back to your point um thanks uh, for the honesty <laughs> <laughs> but uh getting back to your point um um I was never surprised by anything. Um, I think that's what made it easy to adjust to this high high stage of um, Europe because I've seen so much from um, I've seen the highest level since I was a little kid. So there was nothing to be scared, nothing to be scared of, scared of on the court at any times uh, throughout my career. So I think that helped me a lot. And um, yeah, when you combine that with uh, how my parents raised me and um, uh, I think that's why I was able to have the opportunity with Coach Atutis uh, after having zero EuroLeague experience. What's wrong with social media and this uh, public presence, let's say? Um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not for me. Uh, <laughs> I think there's great benefits. Um, I mean, it's the time. I mean, it's the social media age. Um just it's just a personal preference uh for for myself because it's very distracting um and also you know you see interviews with guys or you see i don't know there's a lot of it's a lot of fake fakeness on social media so i just try to stay away from it i don't like commenting on stuff where you won't see me on there ever what do you remember your let's say mental shift or that change that you decided to go away from that maybe you were also on the flow with with the others when was the time you decided hey, i'm i'm got enough of this um yeah i was for sure you know in college in my first couple of years i think probably my third season in europe second maybe season in europe um I just realized it wasn't for me and I was happier when I wasn't participating. Is it maybe because also related to the fact that you're coming of, let's say, famous family, famous environment? That's that's when maybe people want to hide from everybody because they get enough of, you know, this publicity. I'm not that famous. I can't. No, that's not the reason I, I, I don't have that much publicity, but uh, maybe that had, I think because of my mindset and um, not growing up how i did and not uh trusting outside of my family uh that probably had something to do with it as well and just for the end the, the, the last question let's get back to basketball stuff uh you're facing anadolu fs istanbul and you're one of the last men on earth who managed to stop them in 2019 before as they claim they're you know became three-time yearly champs uh, as they claim uh what makes them so invincible maybe what's the way uh, to beat them and br to break that air um i mean they have great players and um they play extremely free and um they've had they have two of the best guards in the past however many years and then you add another Euroleague champion and will Clyburn. um so they're going to be very difficult um, very difficult to stop coming down the season. I expect them to be there again, fighting for a championship. Um, you know, there, I can't say a key to stop them. It's uh, playing with the top teams. It always comes down to the little things. 
rarely to the game plan. It's just who's going to play harder, who's going to take care of the little things. And um, that's what wins big games. That's what wins championships. Um, so there's not one key. You just have to be locked in and be ready to fight for your lives if you want to beat teams like them. That was Corey Higgins, everybody. Thanks a lot for the yeah, time. Thank you.